coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Any wealthy person, any successful person, they understand a deep, deep principle of value that most people will never get. And that is time is our most precious resource by a mile. Mm -hmm. Money is always replenishable. You could lose all of your money next year and you can make it all back the year after that. Like money is by definition replenishable. It's an energy that comes and goes and leaves and stays with you. Like it's, it's, it's not the most valuable asset we have. Time is by definition, not replenishable. It's the only thing that we can't get more of. And so that's why people are so protective of their time. And when you're reaching out to these people and then automatically writing them off as being like a jerk, because they wouldn't jump on it's five minutes. You really don't have five minutes to jump on a call. Yeah, right. uh, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, and if I do have a free five minutes, I'm not going to spend it with somebody that's just going to waste my time, not do any of the things that I talked about because they're not in the right mindset or they're not at the right stage of their career or they want, they have too many built-in excuses of why they can't do it and why it was easier for me than it is for them. Like, no, I don't have time. I would rather spend that time with my kids. Yeah. I'd rather spend that time sure. with my family, with people that deserve my time and, and, and need my time and attention. Like, no, I'm not going to just spend time with you. So you have to have a compelling reason when you're reaching out to these people, you can't just expect that they're going to take time just because like you're a nice person. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass Secret Sauce, we have Travis Chappelle. Travis has a long background in sales, and we actually talk about how he cut his teeth selling door-to-door, -door, quite literally going around and knocking on doors. And it really taught him a lot about networking and communicating and connecting with other people. Uh, he's done an amazing job of sort of parlaying those initial foundations into pretty well everything that he does. Uh, we talk a lot about, again, networking and connecting and communicating with people and how to use today's technologies and platforms to be able to do exactly that. Uh, we talk a lot about podcasting. He's a podcaster. He's a very popular uh, podcast, obviously. You know, he's on Past the Secret Sauce. And how important and how powerful a podcast can be to reach out and connect with other people that you may not necessarily ever be able to connect with. Again, we talk about the different the different types of platforms, podcasts being one of them, but really having a, a, a platform or a reason for reaching out to people rather than, again, the the example that he uses as reaching out and asking to pick someone's brain really is not all that terribly compelling to the other person. So really, really insightful conversation. And I'm really excited about his his platform, Guestio, that, that we talk about. Uh, he goes into detail as to how it works and sort of where the, uh, the genesis of it came from. So Really a great conversation. If you're in business, thinking about getting started in business, struggling in business, 
Travis has a great deal of networking and connections with very, very high influential people, which we talk about in in the episode as well. And he's he's learned a great deal from those people. So just as Travis talks about, he goes out of his way to surround himself with the right type of people and the people that have achieved what the results are that he's looking for. And this is this is an episode that uh, you're going to get the exact same type of thing from Travis. Uh, he's done a lot. He's experienced a lot. A lot of great insights in today's episode. So with that, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. It was usually, I want to be as nice to my mom here as I possibly can because <laughs> she's my mom and I love her and she's an amazing mom. Uh, but she was not she was not known for her, for her, you know, cooking ability, uh-huh. but she would cook all the time because, you know, my parents were extremely frugal uh, growing up. And so it was mostly kind of like frozen meals or, mm-hmm. you know, like hamburger helper or beef stroganoff or rice aroni and like some frozen mixed vegetables that yeah, she yeah. boil, put some salt on it or whatever. My dad wasn't really there a lot. He was working a bunch, like family dinner time. He usually came home after dinner, he was a real estate agent. So he was kind of working on his own schedule, but he was always working. Uh, so he, he wasn't really at the dinner table all the time, uh, but he did do a good job of like taking us on weekend trips and like random stuff like that to kind of still spend time with the family. And I, I, frankly, I don't have any like negative feelings around that. It was just kind of the way it was, you know, yeah, like that's yeah. got to work. That's how it goes. So, and then uh, when I was a kid, I have, I have little kids now. So it's interesting from this perspective as being a parent, right? When I was a kid, you know, my, my parents were never the ones that were like cooking based on what I t- what liked or didn't like, or like yep. if what I had a taste for or whatever, it was just like, Hey, I'm making this and you have to eat it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and not eating it wasn't an option, you know? So like, I, I remember sometimes I'd just be said, I hated spaghetti growing up for some reason. I know a lot of kids like spaghetti. I just didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. And so we they should make spaghetti or stroganoff or something. I didn't like it. And it was sitting on my plate. It gets getting cold. I didn't want to eat it. So she would literally set a timer, you know, those like old kitchen timers yeah. you like crank yeah. it to the left and makes that big ding sound. She would set a timer. And if I didn't finish my meal before the timer went off, I had to go straight to bed. So it was always like, there's like a minute left in the timer and I'm just like pouring you're like shoving it down, yeah. <laughs> peas in my mouth, you know, so that I don't have to go to bed at like 645. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that was, that was, that was a family dinner table. And, and, and so have you adopted that same t- type of philosophy today with your kids or are you a little bit more lenient, flexible with whatever it is that um, they very similar, very similar. Yeah. yeah. I, like the, the, I'd say the one difference is that we try to not continuously make food that we know they don't like, but my kids are also really small still. Like my son's not even three and my daughter is not even a year and a half. Okay. Um, so my daughter's barely eating like, you know, salt, like regular food. And yeah. my son, whenever he throws a fit about it, I make him finish his meal and uh, it, it, kind of the same thing. And he throws a fit and, and whines and complains, but at the end of the day, like you got to eat what's on your plate, man. Yep, Sorry. Yep. Don't know what I love it. I love it. I think that, I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of people didn't necessarily grow up, you know, having to do. And, you know, again, you, you get a lot of that entitlement, you know, happening, you know, because yeah. of little things like that. So, so right. where you, you get, you get the idea that people need to bend over backwards to yep. support you. And it's like, wait, what? what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's exactly. my parents' house. They're the <laughs> ones that get to decide what goes on the dinner table Yep. And whatever they decide goes. Cause it's their house. Like it just, it makes so much sense to me. Like why are, you can't let your kids run your life, man. Yep. You, 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 like your kids are an addition to the life that you live. They're not exactly. the life that you live. Yeah. 
completely agree. <clears throat> completely agree. Entrepreneurial tendencies growing up. Did you, were you the kid that, you know, was going around mowing lawns or anything like that? Were you, were you literally? Yeah. 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 yeah literally. Uh, I remember in elementary school, my parents, uh, so my sister was like 18 months older than me. So I always like had that, like, I wanted to be like her, you know, mm-hmm. and she got this easy bake oven and oh, I thought it was the coolest thing. And I wanted to bake oven. So my <laughs> nothing, parents got nothing me like cooking like, on a light bulb, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So my parents got me this, uh, like boy version of an easy bake oven. And it was basically okay. like, you could, you have these little molds, like metal molds and you pour this like liquid in them and then you can cook it. And it turns into like rubber insects. Okay. Okay. So I would make these rubber insects and bring them to school when I was in like fourth grade or fifth grade or whatever. And I would sell them, you know, to like the second graders and third graders for, you know, and and if they were like multicolored, it would be like, Oh, well, that one's more expensive. This one's cheaper. You know what I mean? (laughs) I I had to have made so many dollars doing that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I made so many dozens of dollars, you know, (laughs) but I thought I was rolling at the time. So uh, fast forward a little bit, always trying to make a buck. My parents would pay me to do landscaping in the backyard. Mm-hmm. So like we, we didn't go without growing up. Like it, we were really poor when I was a kid, but by the time I was like middle school, we were, we were like, we made it to the middle class. You know, my yeah. dad started making six figures as a real estate agent. Like we we're in the middle class, you know? So we didn't want for anything, but if I wanted anything in addition to like the things that I, you know, got like that I needed, then I had to work for it. And so mm-hmm. I would just go out and weed in the yard and we had two acres. And so constantly full of weeds. And so I'd go out and just like shovel weeds all day, rake them into piles, burn them. And I get paid $5 an hour to do that. Yeah. So I started doing that. And then I started realizing like, oh, if I do this landscaping things for other people, they'll pay me more than my parents are paying me right now. And, uh, and then my parents did give me my, my first, my first car, which was a truck. It was a 2002 Toyota Tacoma. And they let, uh, they let me take our lawnmower and weed eater and stuff and put it in the back of the truck and go, find people to let me mow their lawn. And so mm-hmm. um, my dad was also working uh, with a flipper at the time as a real estate agent. And so that flipper needed uh, lawns installed in the front yard and backyard of the houses, like putting lipstick on them before we'd list them. And so we would yeah. go in and like do sod jobs. And we started bidding sod jobs for different people and doing landscaping services when I was 16, 17 years old. And then I continued it a little bit, even through college a little bit as well. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. That's that. I, I kind of thought that you probably had some kind of you know, upbringing where you're doing your own thing early on. Have you, did you ever work for anyone or have you pretty well always done your, your own thing? No, pretty much. I, so, I mean, I worked for people, but even when I worked for people, it was, it was in door-to-door sales. Um, And so, you know, typically door-to-door, you know, there's not a lot of micromanaging happening. It's like you either produce and make money or you quit. Like you don't, you don't really need somebody to like be in your face telling you to go knock on doors. And if you do, you're not going to be there very long. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I was like in college, I was doing hourly door to door, but I produced. So nobody really ever checked your hours, you know, like, in fact, they wanted you to clock all of your hours for like company reasons and for employee reasons in the state of California. So you clock all your hours, as long as you produce, they don't really care. Um, and then, um, I had one job where there was like a nine to five, like a real nine to five. And I had that for a total of five weeks. Okay. It was after I graduated college and I was trying to buy my first house at, I was like 21 and I didn't have hundred percent commission income long enough for the bank to give me a loan. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, 
took an internal transfer for the door-to-door company I was working for to one of their other departments that was basically lead gen, but it was in stores, like a retail lead gen system. Mm -hmm. And so the retail lead gen, you got a salary and you got bonuses and stuff like that. So I transferred to get a salary. As soon as I got my salary, you know, now they can demand that you show up at a certain place at a certain time for a certain number of hours in the day. So literally two days after we closed escrow on our house and the bank said that I was able to qualify for the loan, I quit that job and I've never had a job since. I love it. I love it. I went back to 100% commission door to door. I was just like, I would way rather do this and have somebody else tell me what to do with my time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's an interesting first business or, or first exposure into sales, right? You know, what are some of the techniques that you've learned over the years that have translated over into some of the other things that you've done? And, you know, we'll get into some of those other things, but, uh, you know, obviously again, those are kind of your foundational elements there. What, um, anything come to mind as far as, you know, stand out things, you know, always do this, always do that. Well, from a broad perspective, easily, it's just the ability to handle rejection that translates into almost every single business model in the entire world. And it's funny, I, I was listening to, uh, are you familiar with Guy Raz and how yeah. I built this? Yeah. So he came out with a book, how I built this, you know, kind of like a compilation of all the interviews that he's done with the world's most successful entrepreneurs. And when he did that book tour, I listened to probably, I listened to him on probably four or five podcasts that interviewed Guy. Yeah. And a lot of them would ask the same question. It was probably like what his publicist was wanting them to ask, which was what's like one of the common denominators. You've been around all these amazing people. What's a common denominator that you see with this level of success. And the answer he gave on not just one interview on every interview that I heard him on the one answer that he gave was every successful entrepreneur that I talked to has an outstanding ability to handle rejection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting insight. And a couple of them, like the founder of Calumly, $40 billion market cap or some, something like that, you know, yeah. Started door to door door-to-door alarms, which is the same place, which is what I used to sell. Um, I did solar alarms and water purification mm-hmm. and um, he started door-to-door alarms, you know? So like that, that, I think that one thing is enough to kind of bring you into the rest of your life because it truly is, it truly is really that, you know, mm-hmm. like it's your ability to be able to, ah, oh man, I forget who said this quote, but success is being able to move from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. I forget, I forget who said it, uh, but it's, it's, it's so true. It's just a matter of like, <clears throat> most people don't work off of a big enough sample size. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they'll have a good idea and then they'll go run it against like 12 people. And then those 12 people don't like it. And they're like, all right, I guess it's not a good idea. Work. Yeah. It's like, you're not, you're not picking a big enough sample size to know whether or not it's something that's going to work. Mm-hmm. And with door to door, it ingrains that in you, you know, like you just like when you're first starting, the only metric that you have for success is how many doors can I knock on it today yeah. until it, you know, until I can get a deal out of it. So in door to door, when you are first starting out, the only real metric that you have is how many doors did I knock on today? You know, how, how many doors does it take for me to get a deal? And and usually the answer is a lot more than five or six, <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Sure. It's, it's a lot more than a dozen, you know, usually, you know, you're knocking on 50 to hundred doors in a day and hopefully you're walking away with a deal. And what it, what it teaches you is to start with a larger sample size mm-hmm. that, that like, okay, yeah, these 38 people just told me no, but number 39, they might say yes. And once you start experiencing that truth, because it is a truth, it's just a law of averages. Mm-hmm. You talk to enough people, you'll get a deal. So once you experience that truth, then you start realizing that like, oh, not only is it the law of averages, not only like, will I definitely get a deal if I keep knocking, but I can actually get better at this thing. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So now I get better at picking territory. I get better at uh, picking the right street. I get better at picking the right house. I get better at talking to people and reading those people. And now, like when we were done, you know, when I was, when I was pretty good at it, it was like, you could really, like, I could really pick 10 doors to knock mm-hmm. and know like pretty confidently I can walk away with a deal if I knock 10 doors, because I know the, I know the right neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I know the right house type. I know like what to look for in their driveway and I know how to communicate with them with, once they open the door. And so like you start, like once you learn those principles from a broad perspective and realize that they apply across the board to everything that you, you know, try to attempt, that's always going to serve you in life. Um, so yeah. there's a lot of like other things that I learned during that. I think like body, like reading body language and mm-hmm. uh, reading tonality and, and being persistent and learning how to close and ask good questions and stuff like that. Like that's all for sure part of it. But from a broader like principle perspective, it's like the ability to overcome rejection and move on to the next deal without a loss of enthusiasm is is a is a, a skill set that will pay you a lot of money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The whole time when you were talking about you know knocking on doors and all of that, I've I've never really considered that in the the same frame as what you were referring to it as you know using the you know the elements that are, you know, sort of laid out in front of you, that home type, what type of car is in the driveway, you know, what, what it's the landscaping, like all of those things that you can see, like, obviously, everybody, you know, everybody talks about all of the, you know, the metrics that Google tells you, and these are the type of people or Facebook, you want to, you know, zoom in on these types of people. But, you know, when you're out there in in the physical world, being able to do the exact same thing, and, you know, be right there in front of them, you know, that's, that's genius. I never really, never really considered to, uh, you know, to, to approach things like that. When, when you were learning that entire process, did you have any, you know, books or materials or anything like that, that you learned from, would you say, or is this sort of just something that you just sort of developed as you, as you grew into that? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, when I was kind of in the heyday of door to door, I wasn't studying much outside of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I say, unfortunately, because I, I think I would have been a lot better and I was already pretty good at it kind of naturally. I, I hated reading growing up. Mm-hmm. I hated like any form of outside learning uh, in that perspective. Like I just didn't never, never really liked it. And it turns out it was just because I never really enjoyed the material that I was assigned to read. And once mm-hmm. I really got into finding and studying stuff that I liked, I took off with it, but I, I didn't know that at the time. And so the, the kind of one of the reasons I ended up starting my show, Build Your Network is I attributed my ability to sell to the people that I was able to hang around. So I, I made it a priority that like, I would go find the best producer in the office and I would get around them and I would mm-hmm. learn from them and I would train with them and I would knock with them and I'd ask them questions. I'd hear how they talk. I would hang out with them whenever given the opportunity. And that was how I learned really quickly. It had nothing to do with books or reading or audio or any of those types of things that are more mm-hmm. traditional. And again, if I'm not saying that you should replace it with that, that these things should be in addition to the mentorship mm-hmm. thing, but the mentorship thing to me just always made sense as, as a way to get really good at something. It's like, if you really want to get really good at something like expert level at something, and you want to do it in a faster timeline than everybody else around you, mm-hmm. to me, hands down, the best way is to go find the people who are best at that and spend as much time with them as physically possible. Not even time with them doing the task, just time mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. doing anything. Like their vocabulary is different. The way they present themselves is different. Their tonality is different. Like their posture is different. Everything about them is different because they're performing up here and everybody else is performing down here. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to rub shoulders with those people as much as I could. And that's what I did. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And, you know, being being conscious enough to be able to pick up on all those different cues that, you know, you're observing from that from that other person, you know, recognizing that you're, you're there to learn from them as well. Right. You don't um, have to reinvent the wheel. 
Yeah. Yeah. You exactly. Know, like if somebody's already do, crushing it and doing exactly what you want to do, why you, like people have this weird idea that like, if they didn't come up with it, that it's somehow cheating. And it's like, yeah. Oh, like these people are literally offering their time. They want to train you. Like yeah. you make them money when you sell, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yep, yep, they exactly. want to tell you how to do your job better. Like you just have to be willing to get in there and learn from them and then do exactly what they say before. Like people have this tech, like when, even when I was training people, bro, like people would come up to me and be like, yeah, there, there's this part in the pitch. I think that I'm going to try it this way. And I'd be like, okay, how many deals have you sold? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, cause I've sold like 300 this year doing it this exact way. So why don't you go ahead and try it my way before you start trying to add stuff in or subtract stuff away from it. And eventually, yes, like you're going to find your voice and you're going to tweak it and you're going to change it in a way that makes a little bit more sense for you or feels more comfortable for you. Be a little bit more authentic to yourself. But at first, like you got to learn the basics before you can start, before you can start breaking the rules, yeah. you know, and, and people have this tendency to be like, no, I, I know better. Or this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. I would never say this. And it's like, okay, well, freaking learn how to say it because like it works. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like, do you want to like be right? Or do you want to make money and be successful? Because like, if you want to be right all the time, then probably go work somewhere else because it's not going to work out for you long-term. And it never did by the way. Yeah, no, interesting. Interesting. So, so obviously all of this gave you a great platform, I guess, to, to learn about other people, learn how to communicate, which, you know, parlays, you know, perfectly into, you know, networking and, and, you know, establishing that rapport with people. And obviously you, you created a podcast, you know, specifically around, around this as well. Um, talk a little bit about the, some of the topics and some of the things that you focus in on, on the podcast. And then we'll, you'll kind of dive into some of the things that you've learned, you know, about networking over the years. Yeah. So I started the show from a perspective of me being the student. I, I wanted to learn about networking. I was going to start a show about selling. Cause I was like, this is the only thing that I'm pretty good at. Mm-hmm. But then when I looked at it, I was like, there's so many other people that are way better at this than I am who are already putting out content about this. So where can I go find my blue ocean? Right. And so networking was the space where it was like, I don't know a lot about this. I've never been to a networking event before. I've never been to a business event before, but I do know that if I want to be successful here, I got to go get to know all the people who are already successful here. Mm -hmm. So if I start a show about it, it'll help me learn how to do it. And it'll help me connect to the people that I want to connect to. And I'll be able to kind of reverse engineer all the stuff that I learned from the guests that I bring on. So mm-hmm. that was kind of what I, what I started the show for. And then, uh, and then it started working, you know, the stuff, the principles that I would learn from people, I would apply them. I got better at it over time and, uh, and started bringing on some of the best people in the business space on my mm-hmm. show and being able to have conversations with them, which then only accelerated my ability to network and build relationships even more, not only because I knew those people and they were willing to make intros to me, but also because I was applying the principles that I learned directly from them as I would interview them into my own, you know, uh, networking conversation. So it was like a, an accelerant into, into building and, and exploding my own, my own personal relationships and my own personal network. Uh, so on the show, the one question that we've asked consistently for like 900 episodes is, do you believe that who you know, or what you know, is more important in life and why? And then, so that's like one of the main things we talk about. And then uh, the other times, like, I just want to know how networking has positively affected people's lives and where they think they potentially would be if they tried to go at it alone. And some of the responses that I get to that question are my favorite ones, because it's like, people don't even know how to answer the question. It's like, where, where do you think you would be if it weren't for these, like, we, like, cause we'll go through an entire conversation and they'll talk about this one mentor or they'll talk about this business partner or this other relationship they had. I'm like, so if we subtract that relationship with that mentor or with that business partner or with whatever, where do you think you'd be now? You know? And it's always like, Oh dude, I mean, 
years, uh, years behind where I am now, you know, and I'm like that, that's like my favorite answer to the question. Cause it's like, this is what relationships are. They are an accelerant to everything that you want out of life. And if you're not taking time to prioritize building good relationships with good quality people that push you to be a better version of yourself, then you are taking time for granted, which I believe to be a grave mistake. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. What are some of the, the techniques that you've learned? And I guess there's, there's different, there's different approaches to networking, you know, kind of the initial, the initial contact, let's say, let's, let's go there. You know, if you're, if you have, you know, your, your site set on, you know, I want to, I want to meet this person and, you know, that could be in the, uh, the context of a podcast that could be, you know, I want to meet them at an event or I want to take them out to dinner or whatever it is. What would be some, some tactile things that you can do to, you know, sort of raise your hand and, you know, make the people aware that you're, you're, you're there, or is it, you know, jumping in and, and, you know, basically pitching them or, 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 you know, talking to them right away about whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, always have a compelling reason to reach out, which is why I love podcasting so much. Mm-hmm. That was always the easiest compelling reason for my reach out. Mm-hmm. It was always like, I'd love to highlight you and bring you on my show. And obviously like the more I interviewed like really high quality people, the easier it was to go get more of those high quality people to say yes for an interview on the show. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. And uh, if you don't have that reason when you reach out and you're just doing one of these like generic, like, can I pick your brain sometime? Like, think about that question. It blows my mind how people ask this question. And frankly, like, I get it because we weren't really ever taught uh, anything different. Uh, But if you're doing this, don't do it. It's not going to give you good results. Picking somebody's brain sounds like a horrible activity for them (laughs) to be involved with. You know what I mean? Like, you want to pick my brain? Like, you're just a random person. I have no idea if you're going to waste my time, if you're going to apply any of the things that we talked about. Because like, when I first started, when people would ask me that question, I'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. Somebody wants to learn from me. Great. Let's jump on a call. Right. And then you start to realize why everybody else says no to that question. Mm -hmm. Because you get people that are picking your brain. And then seven months later, they're still in the same damn spot that they were seven months previously, they applied zero of the things that you told them to apply. And then they're reaching out to get more of your time for free. Yeah. And it's like, wait a second, 
if you really want the result, you should have done what I told you seven months ago. Yeah, but you're exactly. still in the same spot that you are now. Like, you, frankly, you do not deserve somebody's time if that's the type of person that you are. Mm-hmm. You have to make them aware that if they spend time with you, it's not going to be a waste of theirs. Because yep. any wealthy person, any successful person, they understand a deep, deep principle of value that most people will never get. And that is time is our most precious resource by a mile. Mm-hmm. Money is always replenishable. You could lose all of your money next year and you can make it all back the year after that. Mm-hmm. Like money is by definition replenishable. It's an energy that comes and goes and leaves and stays with you. Like it's, it, it's, it's not the most viable asset we have. Time is by definition not replenishable. It's the only thing that we can't get more of. And so that's why people are so protective of their time. And when you're reaching out to these people and then automatically writing them off as being like a jerk because they wouldn't jump on, it's five minutes. You really don't have five minutes to jump on a yeah, call. Right. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, and if I do have a free five minutes, I'm not going to spend it with somebody that's just going to waste my time, not do any of the things that I talked about because they're not in the right mindset or they're not at the right stage of their career or they want, they have too many built-in excuses of why they can't do it and why it was easier for me than it is for them. Like, no, I don't have time. I would rather spend that time with my kids. Yeah. I'd rather spend that time sure. with my family, with people that deserve my time and, and, and need my time and attention. Like, no, I'm not going to just spend time with you. So you have to have a compelling reason when you're reaching out to these people, you can't just expect that they're going to take time just because like you're a nice person because they have no idea who you are. And it feels weird sometimes, especially now, because if you listen to a podcast interview like this, or like if you're a podcast listener of mine and you've listened to 50 episodes of mine, you feel like you know me, but yeah. I have never met you. Yep. You know, so like if you're coming, like, like if it's easier for people to, it's easier for people to get offended because they feel like they know you, but you don't really know them at all. And so it's like, I, I would love, I would love to, I would love to spend time with everybody that wants to spend time with me, but that would be impossible. Mm-hmm. So like at this mm-hmm. point, either like pay me for my time as, as mm-hmm. from a coaching perspective, because that, like, if you want to know how to make it worth somebody's time, hundred percent, pay them for their time. Yep. You know, yep. like now they know, like, even if this person never does a damn thing, I tell them to do, I got paid. So yeah, it was still exactly. worth my time and yep. it still helped me reach my goals for my family. You know what I mean? So you have to have a compelling reason. If it's not money, you have a podcast, or this is why I'm such a huge proponent of having a podcast or a YouTube channel or a blog or a stage or an event. Like it gives you the ability to connect with people that normally wouldn't connect with you or give you the time of day. And so, so have a compelling reason when you reach out, uh, it can't just be, let me pick your brain or let me, let's do a virtual cup of coffee sometime. It's just like, you, you got to give people a more compelling reason than that, or you're just going to end up at the bottom of their inbox with everybody yeah. else. Couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, and I can honestly say that I think I've been doing this about two years now in the last two years, the most powerful phrase by far that I have, have ever come across is I want you on my podcast. I mean, <laughs> You know, that just does so many things that breaks down so many barriers. People like feel honored, like, oh, wow, you know, they want me on, they want me on the podcast. You know, I, yeah. I gotta, I gotta, you know, check into this. So I, I completely agree. I mean, it, it, it breaks down so many, so many barriers. What are some of your, you know, again, you're, you're, you're amazing at, at networking. And I think like a, a lot of people consider networking sort of, you know, you walk into a room and I'm going to meet everybody in that room. Right. So it's, it's very personal, very you know, connecting sort of one-on-one. Uh, have you found a a process, I guess, or a, a, a angle that you like to use to create a, I, I guess, a digital form of networking that isn't, you know, necessarily spamming people on LinkedIn or, or sure. you know, Facebook or anything like that? Any, any thoughts there on... 
Yeah. Before I could afford to jump into masterminds, I spent a lot of time in Facebook groups, literally just messaging people, reaching out, posting in the group, getting to know people. If we shared similar interests or likes, I'll try to reach out to them in that context. Uh, but then the other answer is still podcasts. Mm-hmm. We're connecting virtually right now, having a conversation like now, like you and I, though we didn't know each other very well at the beginning of this, now we'll have a relationship moving forward yeah. and we'll yeah. have something to refer back to and it's all virtual. So there's one thing, but the other thing is masterminds. I, I'm a huge proponent of masterminds. I know like some people don't like them and, and think they're a waste of money, but I don't know, man, I, I've, I've been a part of a lot of masterminds. I've spent, if not over close to $300,000 in the last four years alone, just by paying to put myself in rooms of other smart mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I've never done that and not seeing that money come back at some point, somehow, some way later on down the road. It's just a matter of, it's just a matter of, do you want to be in this circle or this industry? Is this a world that you would like to be involved in long-term? Because if it is, relationships are going to help you get there. And if your goals are big enough, like you have to be able to make the decision on the investment based on who you want to become rather than the person who you are right now. So like the, one of the groups that I'm in, it was a hundred thousand dollars to join this mastermind. And at the time when I joined it, 2019, I was absolutely not qualified to join the mastermind. Yeah. And it was, it was frankly just an astronomical number to me. I was like a hundred thousand dollars just to be in this, like, what other things can I do with a hundred grand? That's crazy. And I wrote it off at first, but then I started thinking like, I, I I do want to have an eight figure business. Mm -hmm. Like that is something that I want. And if I did have an eight figure business right now, would I think it was a lot of money to spend a hundred grand to be in a group of the types of people that I know are going to be in this group? Mm-hmm. The answer was no, it's not a lot to be there because you can make a hundred grand back in a deal. If you're running an eight figure company, a single deal, a single relationship, a single handshake, you can make that money back instantly. And so I was like, uh, this is a really, really difficult decision. And I'm not saying that everybody should just go spend their money on stuff. Like I'm not saying to be irresponsible. Yeah. What I am saying is like, I think people often when it comes to investing in themselves specifically, they make a decision that's based on where they are now and not on who they want to become. And I think that that's a mistake. And so I paid, I pay to be a lot of masterminds. We do like, they do virtual events, they do live events. They put you in a room with a bunch of other people who also paid a hundred grand to be there. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like, it tells you how bought in they are to their vision. It tells you how successful they've already been. It tells you the types of people that they hang around with. It puts you in a room, with a bunch of other seekers and a bunch of other people who want knowledge and view it as being worth their time and attention to drop a hundred K to be in that room. Mm-hmm. And so the types of relationships, types of people you get to know the amount of knowledge, the, the amount of time that I've saved in, in my knowledge base and stuff like that by being in these types of groups is, is, is it's unmatched. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it- I, I, I'm a big, I'm a big believer and investor in, into, into mastermind groups. Yeah. And, and how do you, how do you personally go about choosing which ones you join? I'm, I'm sure that you, each of them sort of have their, their own sort of focus that, you know, you're going to, to get out of it, which is you yep. know, going to be based off of what you're looking to accomplish. But is there, is there any, any way that you can, you know, say you don't know anybody who's in that group, you, you just see you know, a commercial or whatever it is, sure. you know, for that, that, that particular mastermind, have you found any ways to be able to, to sort of qualify them to make yeah. sure that, you know, you are, you know, it is going to be something that you're going to, to, to benefit from, you know, yep. opposed to just, you know, going and, 
you know, essentially being at a pitch fest, basically, right? Sure, and, you know, sure. we've, we've all gone to those types of events too. Yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't want to, like I said, you don't want to just be blind and dumb and just throw money at whoever's offering because there's a lot of people out there who should not be charging how much they're charging to be yeah. in the room with them. Yep. So I, I would look at a couple of things. Number one, what are you trying to do? What's your focus right now? Like mm-hmm. when I joined this group, I was doing, I was starting to get into a lot of online marketing and that's who was in this group it was a ton of online marketers. And I, I wanted to know how to do that better. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so what, like, what's something that you're focusing? Are you trying to, are you trying to build a sales team right now? Or are you trying to build a software company? Like one of my friends and, and uh, somebody whose program that I'm in, and he's also a client of ours, Cole Gordon, he has closers.io. They've done, they, they went from zero to 3 million a month in wow. two years and all they do is build out, they build, uh, they build and recruit sales teams for organizations. And so their high level mastermind is a bunch of people that are trying to build sales teams for the organization. So it's like, if you're trying to build a sales team, that's a great one to be in. Yeah. Another, like I mentioned software. Another one would be like Dan Martell. Dan Martell has a great software, like SaaS focused mastermind. We focus on helping people in their SaaS business go from 10K MRR to 100K MRR you know, in this mastermind. And so he'll, he'll, he'll teach you everything that you need to know about SaaS. He has all the relationships in the SaaS industry. The one I'm in is, is the hundred million, the hundred million mastermind. And it's more of a generic networking group rather than a mm-hmm. specific focus. But there are a lot of people in there that were in the industries that I wanted to be in. So that's another, that's, that's a big deal. The big thing for me though, is I like to look at the leader or leaders of the group mm-hmm. and ask myself, how aligned am I with their values and their mission and purpose in life? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big deal to me because likely the quality of the group will depend on the quality of the person that's leading the group. Yeah. Um, and so if that person tends to be a douchebag, then they're going to tend to attract a lot of douchebags in the yep. group. Yep. If they are a good person and uh, from everything that you can tell the people in their lives have good things to say about them, they're running real businesses, you know, things like that. But those are things that I look at a lot. That That's like the core reason I jumped into the hundred million group was because mm-hmm. Joel Marion is one of the co-founders and Dan Fleishman is the other co-founder. Joel just sold his company for multi-nine figures as a supplement company that he built directly through direct response marketing online. They did a hundred million in sales their first uh, year in business. Um, And they kept growing since then. And then they, uh, and then they restructured the company and they exited in December and he just is buying a private jet and I've been to his house and it's on the Bay in Tampa, beautiful, beautiful backyard. Like his family loves him. His family respects him. His good friends have nothing but good things to say about him. He takes care of the people in his life. He builds good relationships, like a lot of things that check boxes for me. Mm-hmm. And he had a real business. Like I said, he wasn't just like a coach who's always coached coaches, yeah. you know, yeah. he had like a real business and then helps people solve problems in their business because of all the risks and things that he took on in his business. And the other guy was Dan Fleischman, who's somebody who almost I've I've never really met anybody that's had anything bad to say about Dan. He's an expert relationship builder. He's probably the most well-connected person that I know personally. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot because I have a show on networking and I've literally made it my mission to find well-connected people for the last like four years. So yeah, yeah. he's definitely one of them, if not the most well-connected person that I know. And then he took his company. He's the youngest founder of a publicly traded company in history, you know, did eight figures in sales before he was like 25 started three other businesses since then. He spends $70 million a year in his influencer marketing business on influencer campaigns for Fortune 500 companies. Uh, He started a card and uh, a a freaking card trading shop in the middle of COVID in Hollywood 
and then opened up online sales for e-com. They did 18 million their first year um, with the cards, cards. It's literally called cards and coffee. They just opened a shop in the Cosmo here in Vegas. They're like taking off like crazy. He's angel invested in almost 50 companies. Like these are the people that like, I want to emulate a lot of the things in my life around the way that they live their lives. And if they're that quality of people, then the people they attract in the group are going to be very similar in quality. And I found that to be true across the board. Yeah. Um, so like I, I largely look for like, is there a particular skill set or a particular need that is currently in my business? Will this mastermind help me solve that? And who are the leaders? What are they going to do? Cause at the end of the day, like the reason that I joined the group, I was totally upfront and I've never told him about this before. I was totally upfront with Joel from the very beginning. I was like, look, man, if I join right now, you know, I was like 27 at the time, 26, maybe. And I was like, if I join right now, I'll probably be like the most, like, I'll probably be the broke person in the room. Yeah. I don't think like I'm qualified to be in this group, to be honest with you. And he looked me in the eye and he was like, listen, man, if you join this group and you don't feel that you got the value at the end of this hundred thousand dollars you have an open line of communication directly to my cell phone and you can ask me as many questions as you want until you feel like you got your value or your money's mm-hmm. worth. Mm-hmm. I looked at Joel and I was like, I believe this guy, you know, whether or not I should have believed him, that's up to the audience member that's listening right now and right, saying like, right. well, of course he said that because he was trying to sell you hundred K. Okay. Maybe he was, but even if he, even if that was a sales tactic, first of all, it worked. But second of all, like if it was a sales tactic, as long as he fulfilled it, I don't care if it's a sales tactic. Yeah. Because you know what I mean? Like he's giving me direct advice from somebody who just sold a nine figure business. And like, he's like 37 or 38, like he's retiring before he's 40 and buying a jet and a house. And like his family loves him, like all this stuff. Like this is the kind of part, like this is somebody I want to emulate. So if, you know, if, if, even if it goes bust and all I got was Joel's phone number and a direct line of communication with him, that's probably going to come back on me good in some way in the future anyway. Yeah. You know, and it obviously has, cause this, I've already, I re-upped for my second year already. So I paid another hundred grand. So I'm 200 K in on that group. Obviously I thought it was worth it to do it again. So uh, yeah, man, I just, I just believe in that long-term. I just think relationships are the driver of that long-term. And I think that if you like fast forward over, over a longer period of time, it's like, well, what am I going to get? Like everybody gets caught on like, well, how am I going to directly see my money back in my bank account by the end of the 12 months that I'm in this mastermind? It's like, you're missing the point, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you're, you're missing the point completely. Like the point is like in seven years from now, Somebody in that group that I know now that we build a great relationship with over the next seven years, we're going to partner on a business together that'll do $40 million. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the, that's how you have to start thinking about it is like everybody underestimates uh, what they can do in 10 years and they overestimate what they can do in one year. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you're purely thinking long-term and you're like a relationship building, like value driven person, and you go get around more people that are long-term thinkers, relationship and value driven people over the course of a decade, the types of things that you're going to be able to do together with people that think like that are so far beyond what you'll ever be able to do by yourself. If you're sitting in your living room, trying to figure it all out by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Planting the seeds now and, you know, waiting for it to grow. That's, right. that's the key. Yeah. No, I love it. What, what, what's next for you? What are, what are some of the things that you, you know, sort of have on your plate to accomplish here in the next, you know, couple of years? Everything right now is for me about Guestio, man. I see my mm-hmm. shirt right here. Um, this is my software company. So I've been, I've been, you know, in podcasting and stuff and I did podcast coaching and podcast consulting and courses. And we worked with entrepreneurs to help them with their content strategy and stuff like that. But software is my software company is really like the thing that I'm focused on the most mm-hmm. because frankly, I think it's a good idea. And I think that we can take it to a really high valuation because we're only the only people in the space that's focused on putting more money back into the pockets of creators in a really mm-hmm. practical sense. 
So like you have a show, you bring on guests for your show. I'm sure you get hit up by booking agencies all the time for guests mm-hmm. for your show. Yep. We did the same way. You know, we, we're getting 30, 40 requests a month. We only have like 10 spots available. We have to say no to a ton of people. Those people would always be upset. And I would inevitably go back to them and be like, hey, well, if you want to pay 500 bucks for your client to skip to the front of the line, I'll be happy to bring them on this month mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. waiting for four months until we have an availability. And then I was always surprised that they would come back and be like, oh, well, we only do earned media appearances. You know, we don't charge our clients for blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait a second. That's a really interesting choice of words that you decided to say earned appearances, because I know for a fact that you're charging your client three to $500 for every single show that you're getting them booked on. Yeah. Yeah. So you are literally selling my audience to your client, taking all of the money, letting your client sell their offer on my podcast where they make money. And I, as the podcaster who took the time, the energy, the investment, everything to build up an audience that actually likes my good quality content that I've worked my ass off to produce. Mm-hmm. I get paid $0 in the entire transaction. Right. And I was right. like, if this is happening across the board to thousands of podcasters out there, they got to be feeling at least similar to the way that I'm feeling, which is like, maybe you should pay me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah. The, like the client is obviously willing to pay to be on the show or they, or like podcast booking agencies wouldn't be a thing that existed, but there's literally, I mean, there's gotta be hundreds. I personally know of dozens. So there's gotta be hundreds of these agencies that are out there now. Absolutely. And it's like, you're making all this money. And, and by the way, like good for you, like good for you for noticing there was a problem in the industry. You jumped in, you filled a need and you're making money. Good for you. I'm all for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. However, at this point, I think that there's room for innovation and improvement upon the current process, especially when the clients don't have that much money to spend. You know what I mean? So like somebody that's spending five grand and it's their last five grand in their bank account, they shouldn't be spending all their five grand on hiring an agency to go do it. So why not build a software that allows them to connect directly with the podcaster? Because now the podcaster can set the price based on the actual audience numbers rather than doing like a blanket across the board fee that's 500 bucks. It's like, well, half of the shows that these agencies are getting you booked on are not worth $500 for an appearance. Right. They're worth $25. They're worth $125 or something like that. And it's like, well, if this one's worth a hundred dollars, I'm paying the agency 500 to get me booked on that one. And they're paying the podcaster $0. Wouldn't it make more sense for me just to pay the show directly, pay them a hundred bucks, get the mm-hmm. same exact result for me. And the podcaster's happier because they made some money yeah. on all their hard work and it might yep. keep them podcasting longer and it might fill their bank account so that they can spend more money on advertising and get their message out to more people and improve the quality of their lives and their listeners' lives. Like to me, it just makes more sense as a business model. So Guestio essentially is like a marketplace where you can go in as a guest and go get yourself booked on high quality shows by paying the shows directly for, uh, for the appearances based on actual audience metrics and not mm-hmm. just like, trust us. It's a good one. You know yeah, what I mean? Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and then as a show host, you can make real money. You know, we had a show host sign up a week ago. He made 12 grand his first week, just bringing wow. on guests. Wow. And these are all great quality guests, by the way, like guests, yeah. like that's the one thing I want to get across to people, especially show hosts is they have like an aversion to getting paid for their spots. And I'm like, look, I am a podcaster through and through. Mm-hmm. I am not asking anybody to sacrifice their artistic integrity for a paycheck. Yeah. All I'm saying is that this person is willing to pay. Would you rather them pay a third party that introduces them to you? Or would you rather them pay you directly? Yeah. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like, love it. I love it. Probably rather get paid directly. <laughs> how do you, how do you go about measuring the, the, the podcast ranking? Cause this is actually something, you know, just being completely transparent. I, yeah. I had someone maybe a month ago or so, one of the guests, he used some kind of an app and he said, oh, you're in the top 5% of podcasts. I'm like, that's news to me. I had no idea. 
Yeah. I don't know how you found that. I don't know how they tracked or measured that, but how do you, how do you guys go about you know, measuring? Yeah. So that, that? there's a lot of third-party data, like backend data APIs that uh, my software team pulls into our marketplace. Okay. So you as a pro user of Guestio, like you pay 97 bucks and you're a pro user, you can go through, we're updating all of our lists right now. So right now, if you do it like exactly today, they'll probably out of like a couple thousand shows, there'll only probably be a couple hundred that have this updated, but within the next couple of weeks, it should be all of our shows in our entire catalog. Got it. But you'll be able to go through and you'll see a stats panel on the left and you'll be able to see like what our estimated, what our like data estimates their average downloads for an episode to be average downloads for a month. What it pulls ratings across like multiple uh, review platforms and, uh, and rankings on charts and things like that. So we, we actually give a fair amount of data only for, for only charging 97 bucks a month to have access to it. Yeah, that's um, cool. But you'll be able to see. So, and then we recommend shows charge, like, you know, uh, if you're, if you're a show and you're bringing on advertisers or sponsors, they're going to charge, like, you're going to charge anywhere from 15 to $25 CPM, which yep. is cost per thousand impressions or downloads. Yep. yep. So what we recommend for guest spots, since it's a guest spot, it's like a 30 minute guest spot instead of a 30 second ad spot. Mm-hmm. We recommend charging a hundred to $150 CPM. So now like a podcaster that's getting a thousand downloads an episode where it might not make sense to bring on a sponsor because it's like, Oh, what are they going to do? Pay me $78 a month. Like, right. I don't know. I, I think I'd rather just like have a call to action in my coaching program or whatever. Yeah. Then what we recommend doing is like, well, just start charging for some of these guest spots. Like there are people out there that want to get in front of your audience to sell their own shit anyway. Yeah. So yep. if they're willing to pay the agency to get on, let them pay you, charge them $100, $150 CPM. So if you're a thousand bucks or I mean a thousand downloads an episode, you can charge a hundred to 150 bucks for a single spot on the show. Mm-hmm. It's like you have four or five spots available every month. Now you're knocking on a thousand bucks a month to bring on guests that you would have brought on for free because they're good anyway. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Like it's just a, it's a, to me, it's like a win, win, win for everybody in the scenario. And then Guestio, we make money because we take 20% of all transactions that happen in the marketplace. So yeah. we're the facilitator and we're the aggregator. And then we let everybody kind of go from there. And then we take care of, you know, processing and stuff. All you got to do is set up a Stripe Connect account, make it mm-hmm. super seamless. We pay out once a month and uh, you make money by interviewing people that you want to interview anyway. I love it. I love it. That sounds like a, like an amazing business you know, opportunity. And, and now do you guys, you guys don't actually host the, the, the podcasts as well, right? It's just, it's basically all, you know, placement, matchmaking, Correct. networking, I guess. Correct. Right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we have my podcast, build your network that we'll place some guests on and stuff like that from time to time. But, uh, but yeah, but yeah, mostly it's everybody else's shows. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That, that uh, I'm going to definitely check that out because that's uh uh, yeah, I, I struggle with the exact same types of things. And, and, uh, you know, that's the bottom line, like, dude. A- like you're a good host, you have a good show, you have a good audience. Mm-hmm. People want to get in front of that. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and the bottom line is, is like, agencies want you to think that they're bringing all the value by like, Oh, we're bringing you this amazing guest though. And it's like, bro, I don't need another life coach with an Amazon bestseller. Right. right. <laughs> like, bottom line, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? <laughs> another TEDx, another TEDx speaker that has a bestseller, uh, bestseller on Amazon that sold 13 copies. Like I, like they seem cool. I'm not trying to talk trash, but also like, yeah, stop acting like this is the like holy grail of value because you're bringing me this guest. It's like I get like 80 of these requests every month. Yeah. Like start paying and I'll start bringing your people on, you know, if they're good and they align with my values and I think they're going to be a good fit for my audience. You know what I mean? So uh, the, the, like people want you to think that, that the shows are in surplus, but it's really the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, there's maybe, I don't know, 50, a hundred thousand shows that are actually worth going on in all of podcasting, YouTube blogs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's 
tens of millions of people that want to share their message on those shows. Sure. Tens yeah, of millions. Absolutely. Any, any, anybody that does business online, anybody coming out with a book, anybody who's got a documentary coming out, anybody that wants traffic for what they're trying to promote wants to get booked on high quality shows with good audiences. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's way more people that want to get on the show than there are shows that are available with inventory, which gives you the show host, the ability to charge for the spot just because of simple supply and demand. The only yeah. thing I tell people to do is like, don't get greedy. Because if you like, you don't want to be the person with a reputation that's like, oh, they charged a thousand bucks for an interview on their show and it absolutely wasn't worth it. You don't want right. to be that person either, you know? Yeah. So offer a fair price. And then the more bookings you get, then you can start increasing that price. Mm-hmm. You know, like again, supply and demand. If there's more demand, there's more people that want to get booked on your show than you have availability, then you can start increasing that price. And then you can start actually making money from your show. You know, like we have some people that'll just take a hundred percent of all of their guest year revenue and buy ads. Mm-hmm. and grow yeah. their audience. Yeah. And they do that for six months. Now, all of a sudden, you're not charging 150 bucks for a spot. You're charging 400 bucks for a spot. Mm-hmm. And you're making 2000 bucks a month instead of 400 bucks a month. And then you can buy more ads and grow your show and continue. Like, it's just a, you gotta, like money is going to help you solve a lot of your problems, especially if you're a podcaster and you're not used to making money directly from the show itself. So yeah, uh, that's, that's the big problem that we're up to solve. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That sounds uh, like I said. I'm I'm going to definitely be checking that out here later on today. So we, we got some guests for you already, bro. You let I, me know. I love it. I, I love I got, it. <laughs> I got like six people on our private client list that I know would come. Would, that I know would pay to go on your show. So I love it. As soon as you have it. your profile set up, we will send you money. Sweet. No, that sounds great. That sounds great, Travis. This is fantastic. If people want to learn more about you, your services, what would be the best way to reach out and get in touch? Yeah. Uh, if you go to travischapel.com, my personal site, it has pretty much everything there, like all of my social links and uh, email and all that stuff. And then also you'll, you can find Guestio there. If you want to go to Guestio, it's guestio.com, uh, G-U-E-S-T-I-O.com, guestio.com. You can go over there. Uh, you can sign up for a free account or you can sign up for a pro account. It's 97 bucks for a pro account. And uh Start pitching yourself to get booked on shows if you're a guest. Um, if you have a show, you can pitch guests to come on your show. Mm-hmm. It's a dual-sided marketplace in that regard. So 97 bucks a month allows you to pitch up to 50 people, regardless of if they're a guest or if they're a show. Amazing. Um, and you can send them video pitches. You can get data on them. There's, we built in a lot of really cool stuff there. Yeah, I love it. And real, real quick too, I, I, I didn't ask this, but do you have a background in, in software at all? Or is this something that you <laughs> kind of just came up with the idea and you know, just yeah. went for it? Yeah, I wish. I wish I did. That, I, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I I don't know why, man. Like I I I'm just sometimes like a, like I'll look back on decisions that I make. I'm like, I am a crazy person. Why do I do that? This doesn't make any <laughs> I sense. I do the same thing. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's probably an entrepreneur thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I had never written a line of code in my life. Still haven't. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good idea, and yeah, and got I love the money it. and funding to be able to make it happen. So we ended up raising like a. $1.3 million seed round at the end of last year to, to really like get out the version one and start marketing mm-hmm. and getting some customers and users on board. And then we'll plan on raising another round at the end of the year. Sweet. Yeah. Travis, fantastic. Thanks for, thanks for the time. Thanks for being on the show and uh, look forward to doing some business with you here shortly. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks a lot. This was fun. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.